This episode of Policing Matters is sponsored by Utility Inc., the innovative technology-enabled service provider recognized for creating groundbreaking digital systems for frontline professions in effectively collecting, analyzing, and managing digital media evidence. Hey, welcome back to Policing Matters on PoliceOne.com. I'm your host, Jim Dudley. Hey, I don't know about you, but I keep getting these ads about classes on how to deal with difficult employees. <laughs> I've also seen it at professional conferences and as a member of the command levels at my agency, I've had my share of individuals who can be confrontive or even hostile. I've been sued twice over my career by officers who claimed some wrongful action against me, and I prevailed in both those cases. Well, today's guest had an encounter with a revengeful employee that goes way beyond angry outbursts or even lawsuits. It's a story that we can learn from and how to interpret disgruntled employees, how to mitigate or take action, and how to protect yourself and your family. Mark Endurko has over 28 years of experience in New Jersey law enforcement, serving in various administrative and operational commands, including command positions with the Edison Township Office of Emergency Management and the Edison Police Department Emergency Response Team. Mark is a graduate of the West Point Command and Leadership Program graduate and Police Executive Institute sponsored by the New Jersey State Association of Chiefs of Police, along with Northwestern University School of Police Staff and Command. Mark began his career in 1988 and rose to the rank of Deputy Chief of Police, retiring in 2016. As Deputy Chief of Police, Mark maintained oversight over the Edison Police Department under the command of the police chief. The Edison Police Department is a 200-officer police department supported by 108 civilian personnel workforce serving in a suburban community of over 100,000 residents in central New, central New Jersey with an aggregate budget of $27 million for law enforcement services. Welcome to Policing Matters, Chief Mark Endurko. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here and a pleasure to make your acquaintance. Yeah, we've talked and uh, gosh, what a story that you have. As I mentioned in today's introduction, you've had your share of disgruntled employees, but you have a story of an employee who crossed the line in a big way in retaliation. Tell us a little bit about it. So the, the story, let me, let me set the story with uh, the organization and the Edison Police Department is made up of, of many proud and, and professional police officers. Uh, but there are, on occasion, there are officers that deviate from, from that pathway and become dysfunctional. And a lot of it has to do with a, uh, a culture uh, that, that did not occur overnight. It occurred over years of time. But specifically to uh, your interest, it was in 2013, uh, it came to the uh, interest of the command staff that we've had a officer, career an officer, nine years of service, career, uh, most of the time spent on midnights, uh, had racked up several complaints, mostly use of force complaints. So we began to look at this, dive into this to, to see commonality 
of pattern and practice. And some of the things that were revealed during that uh, look at, that, at, at those events started to concern us regarding future events. So what we did was uh, the command staff discussed and we, we put together a performance improvement plan. Thus taking, an, taking that officer off midnights, uh, putting moving him to days uh, into a more highly supervised uh, and different environment, uh, operational environment. Uh, we were sending him to a conflict resolution course and also uh, engaging and, and enrolling him in a fitness for duty, a psychological evaluation. Uh, pending that outcome uh, of the psyche eval, as well as a year's worth of positive reviews and completion of that conflict resolution course, uh, that officer would be cleared to return back to his, uh, we'll just say his shift that he bidded on based upon contractual obligations. So fast forward, we're, uh, we are all in a room together, the, the command staff, the, the union representation, uh, and this officer was presented with the, with the performance improvement package. Um, I could tell you in my career, uh, there have been a uh, few individuals that make, and I, to all our listeners in, in the law enforcement profession, could tell you that when you do come in uh, contact with a person that starts to bother you, start to get those sensations. Um, and this was one of them, because after, the, uh, after we laid out what the performance improvement plan was to protect him, as well as the agency, uh, his response was less than professional um, to me, uh, at not only to the, the moment, but also to the rank where his acclamation was, you were ruining my life. Um, repeated himself, it became, uh, it, it, as, it, it, as it started in a professional environment, it, it, it quickly escalated and it quickly um, discontinued at that point in time. So that led us to that he was going out for his fitness for duty. So this is uh, the this is preceding May twentieth, two thousand and thirteen is the specific date. So now the week progresses. He goes out for his fitness for duty. Um, I'm at home Sunday night. Uh, I'm wrapping up watching TV. I go to bed. Uh, my household at that point in time contained my two children who were of early teenage years. Uh, I had my 92-year-old mother with me who was uh, sick that she was residing with us, my wife and our dog. Uh, go to bed at four o'clock in the morning. Uh, I'm, aw I'm awakened by my wife who is telling me that the dog is agitated in the crate and something is wrong outside. Uh, unfortunately, my response would be what I would probably say 99% of all um, police officer to be, there's nothing wrong, you know, let's go back to sleep and it's four o'clock in the morning. Uh, I'm, the dog became further agitated knowing at the crate, my wife said that uh, I think there's a fire outside. So that gets my attention. I go downstairs. By the, um, by the time I get to the front door uh, on the first level of my house, the, there is a fire that has uh, overtaken the front door. Uh, to my wife's credit, uh, and also to uh, my, 
I, uh, daughter who was 16 grabbed her cell phone, got everybody out of the house safely, and, and the house became, the, the, the fire began to grow. Uh, I re-entered the house trying to uh, get some clothes and also to get the car out, which, which goes against every grain of what we're taught to do. At that point in time, the fire eclipsed the second floor, entered into the attic, and uh, we can, you know what happens at that point in time. They just, it, it just, it just, the heat, the, and it just, the fire overtook the house. Um, fire department arrived, extinguished what they could, uh, and then the investigations began. So my first, uh, our, my, my, wife's, my wife and I first encounter was with the fire inspector who asked us, after reviewing the site, said, uh, do you keep anything on your front porch? And I said, the two urns that are melted contain flowers. And he said, no, do you keep gasoline on your front porch? And I responded with, uh, neg negative. I do not keep any gasoline. And that's where that, that, uh, that really that part of the investigation ended. Uh, the investigation continued. Uh, we were questioned by we were questioned by not only the local police department where I resided, the county prosecutor's office, uh, about any details regarding what what might have happened. Can I can I stop you there, Mark? Yes. So at this point, did you in your head make any connection to the possibility that this might have been? a deliberate act by the individual that you had um, on the discipline block, if you will? None whatsoever. The, the thought process went back because so far removed because of my rank and role, I started to look back at all of my other uh, encounters during uh, my police service with the police department about who, you know, was there any animus by any other people that I've arrested or criminals that I've dealt with? Um, never entered into my mind that it would be one of our own. Hmm. So uh, the investigation continued. Uh, three days later, I get a call from the chief of police and also from the, uh, the county prosecutor's office uh, that they arrested the officer that the agency was uh, in the process of disciplining. Um, the, it was completely unnerving and disturbing at that point in time. Uh, I do believe at, at that time when all of this now became public announcement through the papers and, and the, uh, the, the, I don't even wanna say local TV, but it became a national story at this point in time. Uh, it's trying to explain to your kids about the, the what's happening and and the the trust and they and they grew up in the world of policing and now that trust has been violated and, and how you're going to deal with that um so now began the journey of the the furtherance of the of the investigation um i i will i will say that uh the event shook me uh, it had its uh, it had its impact on me not only emotionally but psychologically, uh, where uh, I had to do I had to deal with uh, PTSD um, intervention um, as as well as family members. Uh, I for the longest period of time at four o'clock in the morning I'd wake up unsolicited under and and just my body would be racing at that point in time. 
Um, so it, it did have an impact on me personally at that point in time. But I, let me focus back now on the investigation for uh, so now the investigation began and started to unfold and we started to, and not we, but uh, the prosecutor's office, who was the Middlesex County Prosecutor's Office, who was leading this investigation, started to unravel and untwine all of this uh, background of deviance and dysfunction based upon this officer uh, from uh, searches of the locker that found uh uh, illegal narcotics to uh, to uh, illegal weapons, um, and then unravel the historical timeline of seeing other actions that this officer uh, was involved in, uh, and how it led up to uh, how it led up to this event. Um, as as the audience may know, and as you and I both know, is uh, arson is a very difficult crime without a witness, uh, the, the growth that the, well, what the Middlesex County Prosecutor's Office uh, Major Crimes Unit, as well as their arson investigation you demonstrated was a huge uh, uh, leap to understand the evidence chain regarding now um, the, the advances in technical evidence, as well as uh, um, trace evidence, uh, going forward. So uh, I, I owe them a lot in this in this point in time. So now, if I can fast forward, so the, this officer was arrested. Uh, he was held on, at that point in time, the highest bail that New Jersey has ever placed upon an individual, um, and now began the court proceedings. Um, at first, as I talked about culturally, uh, and I know that we spoke offline about this, is that this officer was, uh, what, during his bail hearing and his arraignment, uh, there were officers that, that actually came to, his, came to his support, which was uh, disappointing at best. Uh, uh, to speak to that though, as the proceedings unraveled over the course of the years and, and more and more became exposed, uh, what what did occur was you started to see the, the the waning of support to ultimately nothing at the end when during sentencing. Um, what was revealed during the investigation was that this officer uh, placed uh, two one gallon milk jugs full of gasoline with a with a uh, rag that was soaked on both sides as a delay. Uh, he approached my house in the stealth of the night and placed them on both sides of my doorway and ignited them. Um, this was uh, this was the the measures that he took uh, for uh, intimidation and also for the criminal activity that he undertook and, and ultimately was charged for. Um, every public hearing, uh, my wife and I were in the in the audience. Uh, watching what was going on, look, me specifically looking to make eye contact with him uh, regarding uh, what happened, never did. Uh, ultimately, uh, after three years and uh, successful prosecutions on other, uh, on other uh, events that he was charged with, uh, justice was found and he was sentenced to 20 years um, uh, in prison. Um, he has to do 17 uh, at, at that time, and then he will be eligible for parole. Um, 
any questions up until this point, if, if, if I want to be considerate of time as well. Sure. Yeah. No, I mean, that's quite a story. I mean, I don't even think of the possibility I, it, during my career, my 30 year career, I never considered something like that from a fellow officer. And that must have been shattering in your faith of uh, fellow officers. I mean, clearly, we're all united against uh, the, the criminal element. And yeah, we have, uh, you know, disagreements, or uh, as command members, we're, we're tasked with making sure that everybody's on the same page, and that nobody goes off, uh, off the page, or or becomes rogue. Um, was there any indication that the individual harbored that kind of malice against you personally? Was there anything, uh, any precursor uh, indicators? Was the reason he up he was up for discipline was that due to violence uh, against uh, fellow officers or prisoners or were they discourteous? Anything? To, to give you that sort of um, heads up? So there, so his, without getting into specifics, there, his history was claims of harassment, uh, use of force uh, that started to stack upon one another. Again, as I stated, he was, at the time, he was a, a career midnight officer. Mm. And, he, as, and as we all well know, um, midnight, the, the overnight tour, is a less supervised, more uh, environment than it, than any other uh, the environments that goes. Um, uh, also, to it, it it provide its lack. It also slows down on the operational side. So there is there's a there's a lot there's downtime for officers. And when you start to couple that with the environment where you now become a um, a career person in that environment um, that, that's culturally, organizationally, operationally uh, from an administrative position. That is that is not a good uh, place to be or allow a person to be uh, for that accumulated time. Yeah. What kind of support did you get? Uh, I mean, did you feel isolated in I guess you're, I mean, there's no guessing about it. You are a victim in this case. Uh, did you feel like you were alone as a victim or did you get support from the, the town or your agency? What was that like for you and your family? Thank you. So I, I did, we did receive var, uh, various levels of support at the agency level when, uh, after the first occurrence. Uh, there was a security detail that was provided by officers, some donating their time because of the events, uh, and I will never forget that. Uh, there was also, from the professional associations that I belong to, support was, was provided um, emotionally, you know, as well as anything that if I needed anything, uh, they would be there to help and serve uh, my family. So again, I am grateful to that. Um, one of the messages that that, that I I've always spoke to my kids about is this, and I, I'll still say to this day, and in, and in in some of the uh, leadership talks that I deliver, is bad things happen to good people. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it's not about what has happened. It's about how you respond to that and, and what you're going to take, to take about, take with that and make out of that. So understanding that what bad things happen, you have to find the good. And I have to tell you, and that to my point being here is that through the aid and assistance, not only of the, uh, of, of the agency, the, the prosecutor's office, the professional associations, but the people that I had relationships with outside of the profession um, that I never knew went to the depth that they did, uh, we, uh, we were touched by on the outpouring of support that came uh, during that time. Oh, well, that's great. That's good to hear. Um, I want to ask you a little bit more about um, what could have been done pre-event, but first I'd like to take a moment and thank our sponsor. Utility provides a universe of intuitive solutions for effectively capturing, analyzing, managing, and sharing video evidence. Technologies include a variety of cameras, sensors, devices, as well as situational awareness software solutions for law enforcement, first responders, transportation agencies, and utility providers. To learn more about utility and its technology solutions, visit utility.com. That's U-T-I-L-I-T-Y.com. And I'm back and we're speaking with retired Deputy Chief Mark Andurko about this horrific uh, event, this incident of retaliation. Uh, well, it wasn't even retaliation. The, there hadn't been any discipline meted out it to that point. Um, I wanted to ask you about in hindsight, well, of course, hindsight's 2020, you know, what what might have you noticed uh, that could have tipped you off? But instead, I want to ask you, what can an agency do to intervene? What can an agency do? Um, we've seen the legislation since George Floyd of the duty to intervene, right? Mm-hmm. For fellow officers to say, okay, you are too involved in this. Let me take over. Let's move you away. I got it from here, right? Mm-hmm. In in these kinds of cases, and, and believe me, I've had my share where there is, animus does build up and it does become about individuals. And at some point it would be great for someone else to step in and say, hey, Mark, we got it from here. This guy is just really focused on you. Have you heard about anything like that from your chief or HR from, from the city to say, yeah, we need to change the way we do things on discipline hearings? So in the moment, no. And so if you were starting to look at this strategically, and I and I talk about this in some of my uh, leadership thought and also my deliveries for organizational behavior, is it to understand the culture. And when I talk about the culture, I talk about all levels of leadership, all right? So how agency size may have a bearing upon this because it is very important for an agency to move forward critically, um, is understanding that when you make that critical shift, those, those, those initial advancements from patrolman to sergeant and, and then all the way up the ladder is that you have, a, you have a responsibility, not only to the agency, but also to that person as well. So when, you, when we talk about blind eye, and allowing things to progress to where they where they ultimately become a problem. This is the the this is the 
causal relationship to those actions is that allowing somebody to operate in this environment, not doing due diligence in hiring and paying attention to the uh, the the the, the, pro, the psychological profile, the traits that this person um, has at the time of hiring. All of these things come into place. So when we look at this from a, an administrator's point of view and organizationally is that we invest a tremendous amount of money over a career of a, over an officer's career, not only in salary, but training. And, and we want, organizationally, as well as administratively, the best. So if we're, if we're not going to pay attention to these cues or these identifiers early, and also too, is that we have programs in place, all agencies do about uh, identifying those officers that are not going to be above uh, uh, meeting, I'll just say meeting those standards those that what are we going to do with them at that point in time we allow them to exist and we push them forward so uh i know gordon graham uh, it's, uh speaks about problems laying in wait this is one of those actions and a poor hire makes for a poor police officer makes for a poor supervisor makes for a poor organization and that's what and that is the uh the dilemma that agencies have to identify and 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 move out of so what's your advice if you are uh, training or you're meeting with a new middle manager dealing with a disciplinary action where there may be um, some sense of animus or uh, that, that they may be vilified during the process? So it, it very simply is, is socialization, setting expectations. Because what I what I didn't mention at the conclusion of 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 my event with the conviction of this officer, other officers, because of their relationship of what they did and what they didn't report, wound up losing their jobs, too. So when you started to identify this this uh, officer, this person who was convicted, he was I, I, I'll just say this. He was an informal leader because people followed him. And to identify those people and to socialize them properly based, based upon what goes on. If somebody is not, if you're not going, if from an agency perspective, if you're not going to do that, then somebody else will. And you're going to fall prey to what, what happened here. Maybe not to the extent of what happened to myself and my family, but the fact is that the agency will start to fall down that slippery slope. And once, once we start to lay out that's that the socialization in a functional way as opposed to a dysfunctional way you're going to start to set expectations deliver that and then act upon that because in order for supervisors to do their job they have to know what they what is expected of them the same thing goes with officers as well as and I don't want to say supervisors, I want to say leaders, because they are leaders at every level of the organization. It's not about managing. We manage tasks, we, but we lead people. And it's all about understanding the dynamics of leadership and how you influence people positively and in the, in the framework of, of a very functional organization, as opposed to dysfunctional. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I can think of so many ways that we can 
uh, prevent something like this? I mean, arson, you know, if you look at heart arson from the sheer criminal aspect of it, um, they are generally disturbed individuals who commit arson, knowing full well that uh, the ramifications can be homicide at the end. Um, and so we I've talked to several people on the podcast about uh, mental health checks in our in the people who work for us, uh, the people who serve, and uh, Marie Ridgeway in particular in Minnesota, she's uh, she's a great therapist, and their program is to have annual checks, annual walk-ins, and just do checkups, make sure everybody's good. And I don't think we do that enough. Um, but also things like span of control, where we have enough supervisors, where we don't have those neglected, um, you know, cadres of individuals that are, you know, left to supervise themselves. That's never a good, a good thing either. So uh, you bring up some great uh, issues, Mark, I, I wish you well, I thank you for sharing your story. I'm glad you came out on on the good end of it. I'm glad your family's well. And, um, and you're putting it all past you. You know, again, we talked off offline, and, mm -hmm. and you said some really, um, you know, thoughtful things about, you know, put the past in, in the past. I, I know we have to maintain some situational awareness, but, um, you know, you mentioned that, hey, what happens happens and you need to move on from it. I think that's healthy too. Yes, you have to have a healthy awareness of what happened to you. But if you're constantly looking backwards to move forwards, you're never going to take that first positive step. So um, I, I think that is the, the the first line of thinking that needs to be employed here is that uh, if you want to move forward positively, you have to think about what is good in your world and apply that not only personally, but also professionally. Yeah, yeah. This case is an anomaly. It is not something that we've seen uh, even occasionally or rarely in, in my experience. So uh, unfortunate for everybody involved. Um, hey, thanks so much for taking time today and, and talking with us. It was my pleasure. Uh, thank you for the time. Hey, if anybody wants, our listeners want to hear more about you and your leadership seminars, how can we find out about what you're doing these days? So uh, I currently serve as a strategic partnership manager for Lexapol. Uh, I am part of, part of a, their speaker series. I do offer, uh, I have uh, spoken locally in, in the Northeast region on organizational behavior and leadership thoughts. So uh, that's what I'm doing. And uh, I'm doing the good work for Lexapol in, in advancing uh, best practices and standards. Awesome. Thanks again. Hey, to our listeners, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed uh, today's speaker, Deputy Chief Mark Endurko. And uh, let us know. Let us know what you think. Let us know who you want to hear about and who you want to hear from. Drop me a line at policingmatters at policeone.com. Policingmatters at policeone.com. Hey, I'm Jim Dudley. Be careful out there. Stay safe. Watch your six. Hope to talk to you again real soon.